Hey guys, and welcome to On Set with Errol Koenig. I'm Errol Koenig. In this episode, we're talking to Rusty Gilligan. Rusty is a production and storyboard artist who has worked on movies and TV shows including Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, The Walking Dead, Captain America The First Avenger, and The Avengers. In this episode, we talked about how he got his start as an artist and his career in both the comics and the movie industry. Now here is my interview with Rusty Gilligan. Thank you so much, Rusty, for uh, joining me on my podcast. Uh, I, I appreciate you asking me. Thank you. Okay, so uh, let's get started. Uh, kind of introduce yourself and uh, tell me what you do uh, on a movie or a TV show. Well, introduce myself. My name is Rusty Gilligan. I've been a comic book and film artist since the late 70s. And um, I, I have to say, I'm one of those people that says... I love what I do, and in all honesty, you don't work a day in your life if you love what you do. Um, what I normally do on uh, film is um, I've done storyboard work and I've done you know pinup work, things like that. But mostly, what I do is production art. Um, production art is kind of a it's kind of an open and vague yet stylized form of doing artwork for film. Uh, in some cases, you do poses of the characters to show the body shape and the body intent um, of a character. For example, I worked on uh, Spider-Man 2 and 3, and they had Spider-Man looking like Captain America, a big, you know, halfback-looking football player. Mm-hmm. We made it so that when you look at one of the, uh, the character sketches, it was very open. It was almost like doing a coloring book drawing. And mm-hmm. what we did was, the, the other artist and I, we put together something that made him look more like a figure skater or a ballet dancer, uh, rather than walking in and being a bruiser like The Thing or Captain America with punches. He was more leaf and, and, and had more dancer ability, more flexible. Uh, so, so that was a big help to the producers uh, even though they had comics as references, uh, it's very different when you translate the printed word to the screen, especially with so much reference. Nobody reads 500 issues of Spider-Man. They usually give them about 10 or 12 books, uh, you know, as reference and say, here you go, you know, this is the, this is the, the, the pattern you have to follow. Um, production art is... A is very like it's very handy capable. People look at it and they're, they're literally saying to themselves, uh, "This is how wardrobe would This is how positioning of uh, the characters would move. It helps the directors formulate a scene. It's also very good for the storyboard artists. People use those drawings to color on. This guy looks good in a blue shirt." that, throw it away, this guy looks good in a red shirt, let's draw some Hawaiian pattern on it, mm-hmm. what's a good background color, etc., etc. So picture everything from stationary poses to imaginary storyboard art, and that takes place in the production art. The other thing is, is that it's very, uh, it's very integral when it comes to merchandising and, and plotting for things like the... Uh, the, the t-shirts and the fabric lines. Think about this. Spider-Man comes out with a movie. You very rarely see a photo of, you know, 
Tobey Maguire, let's say that was from my, my movie set, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't see something like that on a T-shirt. What you really see is the Spider-Man movie comes out, and it's art, comic art. That's because as fans, we identify more with the comic character, even though the movie's based on live action, and our inner eye responds more to the color pattern or the color palette of a comic book than it does to the dull colors printed on a T-shirt from, you know, a, a, a realistic palette, I guess if you want to term it that. So production art is, is very, very strong in developing a film project. I would say out of all the artwork used, it's probably a third of everything. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I guess when, when you're doing the production art for a movie, you know, such as Spider-Man, um, how uh, how do you interact with the, uh, you know, creative minds of the movie with the, you know, with the directors and the producers um, to get the right look? Well, with the, when I first started taking back a little bit to make the, the answer a little bit more rounded, when I first started in the late 70s doing work, I worked on the original heavy metal movie in 81, 82. Mm-hmm. And there was no fax machine. There was no overnight, you know, any, you know, shipping, no internet, no cell phone. Uh, you had to pay every minute when you called Canada and, and, and France, which is what we had to do on a regular basis. The studios were up there, et cetera, et cetera. And it was, it was mind-blowing compared to today because I've actually seen people send, you know, whole loops of film, trailers, whatever, right from their cell phone to somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, you couldn't do anything like that at all. As a matter of fact, you know, the typical computer that I had in school was like three giant bookcases with a tape spool, and you had the punch cards uh, in the machine. Today, that computer times 10 fits in your cell phone. So it was, a, it was a big draw at the time. A lot of the stuff that I did was done by mail. I didn't really get to talk to too many people, but an art director, uh, the art director would give me anything from uh, quality pieces to stick figures, say, this is the pose, this is what I want. When I did the heavy metal, um, I drew approximately 52, 75 uh, zombies, or as we call them, crawlers for that movie. And uh, everybody has their own term for zombies, I guess. Walking Dead has walkers, and I heard Night of the Living Dead had terrors, things like that. But we did crawlers, and I did about 50 to 75 of them, and they were all rejected. And then it was like, oh, you know, we're so disappointed because we did this, this, and this. Uh, we need to get this by deadline. I need this look. I need this jaw being broken off or this mm-hmm. hole in the elbow to show flesh is eaten away but there's enough of the costume on the character and the plotting was interesting you know I need a foot here I need an arm here so we would sometimes draw just body parts cut them out with scissors and lay them mm-hmm. on pages and do you know tracings or, or uh, uh, like rotoscopic pictures of our own drawings, which was very popular in the 50s and 60s with artists like Gray Morrow and Gil Kane, um, you know, in comics. Um, Disney did a lot of rotoscopic animation, too, Snow White and 
the rest all the way down to, I guess, about Lion King they stopped. But um, it's a giant thing when, you, when you're told, we need you to put together what the film's going to look like before we actually start doing the film and then give people what the film's going to look like. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, building a model of a car before somebody actually, you know, puts, you know, uh, uh, soldering iron to metal to build the real car based on yours. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, I, I, you've worked on, you know, like you mentioned, Heavy Metal um, and uh, Spider-Man. Also, uh, you know, you've worked on the first season of The Walking Dead. You've worked on, uh, you know, The Avengers, Captain America. Um, so I guess out of all of those, um, you know, what are, I guess, some of the favorites? What are, what, are you, what are you most proud of? You know, what was the funnest to work on? Well, it's a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that because I have, each, I have a different experience in each one. Um, heavy metal was probably the best job that I ever had bar none, because of the fact that at the time, I was, I was young, and I was very much into music, Metal Herlant, which was the name of the original French publication that turned into heavy metal, was a comic non-comic on the stands, and I, would not, I wasn't even old enough to buy it, because you had to be 18 plus, mm-hmm. yet I'd sneak out of my, my bedroom window, run around the corner and buy a copy and, uh, and and come home. I was lucky enough to get away with it, or I'd see a few at a garage sale or bookstore or whatever. Um, so that was my guilty little pleasure, my sneaky little pleasure. But then again, I worked on the Spider-Man 2 movie, and that was like a reintroduction to me, getting back into film after doing comics for so many years. And it was a bragging point. Um, I'm huge into the Golden Age, the original Daredevil, the Spirit, the Phantom, Captain America, you know, Kirby and, and, and Schuster and Siegel artwork, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So Captain America was a giant thing for me. And I went through so much hell with the studio because I worked on the card set for Upper Deck and I did about 55, 60 cards. They were all rejected, but yet they still got used. But when I did the artwork for the movie, I didn't get anything rejected. So, you know, for licensing, it's just a matter of, you know, silliness going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Now, recently I worked on a horror movie that's actually quasi still in production called 100 Acres of Hell. And it's got a lot of popular stars in it. Um, Gene Snisky and Samu Inouye that, that are popular WWE wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genevieve Rossi, who's a beautiful horror queen. Um, actor like uh, Ernie O'Donnell, who is in, in Clerks and, and Chasing Amy. So it's got a nice uh, 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 medium cast. And um, the producers, uh, Carter, McKeever, Ruta, they're all great guys. And I, I got to work and actually meet a lot of the stars, which is something that I don't really get to do. And at the same token, um, we all did a show together in New Jersey, uh, a comic book show, and we had a nice appearance, um, the uh, Jersey Shore comic book show. And uh, it was it was really neat because, you know, you get hugged by this big bear of a wrestler and mm-hmm. you're shaking hands with people and you get to know them over time. 
so it's it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, that's under uh, Walking Dead Films, Hundred of Acres of Hell, and they're doing a Indiegogo campaign coming up where I'm going to be doing something that I've never done before. I'm going to be reverse engineering storyboards. So I'll actually be doing custom storyboards based on the scenes versus basing the scenes on my storyboards as part of the campaign. That's pretty cool. So after all my time in the industry, that'll be a first for me. Cool. So uh, you kind of, you know, talked about your different projects through the years. Can you uh, give me a little insight about, you know, how you got your start, um, you know, all the way back in, you know, late 70s, early 80s? And then you took, you know, a long time to focus more on comics. comics and in, then... Comics are in film. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, more focused on film, but, you know, you can talk about how you went, you know, from, you know, the comics or from the, you know, early days when you worked on heavy metal, talk a little bit about what you did with comics and then how you got back into uh, film. The well, Spider-Man. Basically the, the way I got into, the way I got into comics is kind of what got me shoehorned into film. Um, I was a child actor and I used to do a lot of commercials and we used to have, you know, casting calls. They, you know, we'd check in, they'd give her an appointment, they'd give you a script and you'd sit out there and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd read the script like, wow, mom, this is the best orange juice ever. Or I can't wait to get home and play this game on the Atari. And believe it or not, that was big when mm-hmm. I was a kid. But I went on a, a, a interview and Stan Lee, basically the, the grandfather of Marvel Comics, walks out into the hallway. And obviously at that time we knew him. Because mm-hmm. today we know every star under the sun, we know every wrestler's real name, because we're all marks for the industry. Yeah. You know, we've got the internet, we can just look up anyone's real name, real face, whatever. But at that time, he was a figurehead because he was always appearing in, in comic or television productions. He was the introductory, introductory voice as a voiceover for an announcer for the Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends cartoon. Mm-hmm. He was huge at Sunbow Productions, and we saw his picture all the time on his soapbox, which was a single-page forum that he ran in the monthly Marvel comics. So he walked out into the hallway, and I go, wow, it's you, and he looked down at me, and he goes, yes, it's me. It was really a funny little meeting. But he looked at my art, and he really liked it, told me that I had talent, which I was eternally grateful for. God bless him because he launched off my, my big fantasy career. Mm-hmm. And I got, started to get work after that. I had an agent, and at the time, uh, it was very popular in foreign film. And um, Heavy Metal, again, was my first film project. And it was based on, like I said, the French book, uh, Metal Herlant. And um, she got me this job through a Canadian source, and I started working with uh, this company. And I got to tell you, it was it was it was very funny because, you know, you you you, you can't like I said before, you can't uh, you know send them um, what do you call it? You can't send them uh, faxes. You can't send them uh, uh, you know uh, you know email. There was nothing at the time, and the company was great. You know, it was a great company, even though, um, 
you were working for, you know, like, like for example, one of the people that was behind it was uh, Ivan Reitman, who was known for Ghostbusters and a bunch of other things. But I worked for, you know, Cine Group, and they were, you know, they were really popular. Sometimes I had to wait five minutes before somebody who wasn't French or French-Canadian could get on the phone to talk to me. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very funny. But, um, you know, I, I, when I got into that, it was basically just an agency thing. They liked my original art and concepts, and then I went from there. After that, I worked on a couple of other small films, designed storyboards for commercials. Literally, once you get to know somebody and you get involved with a project, you start seeing work everywhere. I know that that sounds funny, but it's it's just like, you know, you're a single guy, you walk into a bar, you know, you walk into a bar, you talk to a couple of girls, and, you know, they're not interested. But the second you have a ring on your finger or the second that you have a girlfriend, it just seems like a girl's poor, come out of the woodworks looking for you. Mm-hmm. So I just wound up getting attention because of the jobs I was on. And I, I wound up seeing work everywhere, you know, commercials, magazine ads, comic book work, of course, et cetera, et cetera, and then obviously film. But I had a great time back in those days. It was literally, you know, very, uh, very heavy frontier uh, working conditions. There was nothing except sending somebody stuff through the mail talking on the phone for anywhere from 10 cents to a dollar a minute, getting hurried because, you know, who wants to spend $10 on a call, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And not everybody was willing to fly you out to the studio or fly you out to, you know, where they're shooting. So a lot of the stuff you did at home and you mailed out, today you would just do it on the computer and email it and get, you know, instant gratification. Back then, sometimes... We had to wait two, three weeks for approvals, especially me, because at that time I was like, you know, I, I wasn't even an A or a B list artist. I was way down there, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, once you got into comics, how do you then uh, you spent a lot of time uh, in, in between focusing more on comics uh, between heavy metal and getting back into it with Spider-Man 2? Uh, was it a similar path to get uh, back into the movies? You know what, it was, it was, but it wasn't. Right around the time of the 80s or the 90s, uh, there, I, I should rephrase that, right around the time that comics went through what they call their money, which was the late 80s, early 90s, we started getting a lot of extracurricular work. So, for example, <laughs> work on comics, and they'd say, do you want to work on a poster? or we're putting together a licensing book to sell stocks, uh, very popular with companies like Marvel and DC that are mm-hmm. you know, public trade companies or whatever. Uh, we're doing a ride for a theme park. You know, you, you get a lot of work working in comics because you don't just do comic books. You do the characters in all their forms. So at the time, I was doing artwork for companies like Comic Images that was producing t-shirts, collectibles, and trading cards. I was doing comic book work for Marvel, DC, Image later on, a lot of underground comics, which were, you know, mostly for adults only. 
Um, I was also doing work for the licensors. So sometimes you do work for T-shirts or, you know, toys, anything from shower curtains and toilet paper all the way on up to, you know, designs that would appear on, like, you know, party stuff that you'd see at party stores. You know, when you get into comics, you don't just draw actual comic pages. Your portfolio winds up growing to include licensing work. And I wound up getting back into film after so long because of the fact that they saw all the licensing work that I was doing. I've worked on tons of licenses over the years. And uh, it's very rewarding, you know, because... You'll watch a movie like Night of the Living Dead, which is one of the ones that I worked on mm-hmm. license-wise. I didn't actually work on the film. And people will see the film and they'll be like, oh, that's so cool. They'll be like, yeah, I worked on the trading card set or Doctor Who. I didn't work on the television show, but I designed two sets of trading cards. I worked on a third for a U.K. company, and I drew pictures for uh, a Doctor Who, um, I, I guess you could call it a giant-sized manual uh, that the writer Matt Herring put out. It's very popular to work on the fringes of the industry as opposed to working on the strict industry, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing in film. Um, you could be a storyboard artist on a movie and get your name in the credits. Um, production art, I never see my name in the credits. Um, but yet, I'll probably have my work seen more than someone else. A, a typical production art day would, in the life would be someone's doing storyboards and they're hanging up all over the wall and they do a presentation. So they're like, here's storyboard number one, and he's in a scene and they're going through with their directors, producers, choreographers, stuntmen, maybe a star. This is how we're going to block this, turn this way you know, mimic the voice of the character and act it out. On the opposite hand, I sit at home with the radio or TV on, I'll just draw a bunch of pictures. But Mm -hmm. then, at the end of the day, storyboards never get out, very rarely if they do. But on the opposite end, some of my stuff might be on a T-shirt or a poster. It might be the schematic for the DVD cover, maybe even in a foreign country, because nobody throws away art, ever. It's the greeting card mentality. You, you keep every piece of artwork, even rejected pieces. Mm-hmm. You never throw anything in the garbage. And it gets used everywhere. There have been times where I've seen my artwork on stuff that I didn't even know was available or, or possible. Um, I was at a t- uh, convention maybe 10, 15 years ago, and I actually saw one of the ghouls that I drew, or excuse me, the crawlers, that I drew for heavy metal, and it was actually on a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, a greeting card booklet or, or one of those like, uh, like party booklets. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, it never gets out. And then here it is, you know, 20-something whatever years later in a booklet. You know, it's just the way it is. When you, you, know, when you operate a license... You, you maintain the Bible and you maintain all of the artwork that goes along with it. Okay, cool. All right, so uh, I think we should wrap up. I got uh, two, two more questions for you. Um, first being, uh, 
as a you know production artist um, or storyboard artist, uh, what are a couple uh, must-see films, or in your case, comic books, um, that uh-huh. a, that a film student or filmmaker or a young artist uh, should watch or read, and what makes them so great? Well, I guess I'm going to fall back on some of the standards. You know, if you watch movies like Heavy Metal, uh, Wizards. Um, you know, if the people are old enough, maybe Fritz the Cat, you'll get us an understanding, you know, American pop, things like that. You'll get an understanding of basic storytelling. What makes these movies so fantastic is the plotting and the elements in the background as well as in the foreground. You're watching heavy metal, and the majority of the, 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 the production is being chased by this green glowing flying orb. And there's things going on in the background. So you might be, uh, uh, you know, you've got your zombies in the foreground, and there might be a calendar with a date in the background. Or there might be another zombie in the background doing something else. I worked on the B-17 sequence, so when they, at the end of that sequence, because it was an anthology movie, they crash-landed the plane and the pilot landed in like an airplane graveyard that was full of all these zombie pilots and zombie uh, uh, soldiers. And it was so layered and it was so uh, uh, multifaceted, the scene, that it literally looked like it was coming to life. Today it would almost be like akin to watching like a, a, a multi, you know, multi-layered video game, like an MMO. Mm-hmm. But the, the storytelling is really what you want. There's, I, I'll probably say something that's not going to be very popular with artists, especially with students, because they strive to be, you know, they strive to be perfect their craft, let's say, and they strive to be professionals. But it's not your art that matters, because I actually know artists who draw stick figures. I know an artist who is a writer. And he literally has a triangle, a square, and a circle talking to each other in a webcomic. I know artists that take clip art and, and do like meme, you know, internet mm-hmm. meme type like uh, uh, motion comics. It's not that your art matters. It really isn't. It's your storytelling ability. If you can show something in action and convey that action to the reader or to the viewer, you're accomplishing 90% of, of what you're supposed to do. So having the perfect anatomy, well, there's always going to be an artist who's you know going to strive for that, and then an arm or a leg is going to be out of whack. A breast isn't going to be pulled when an arm is lifted up. You won't see a muscle strain when they're fighting or sweat on a brow, but yet you may convey it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, Animation is kind of a tricky thing because when you look at an animated movie, uh, like a Heavy Metal or a Wizards or, you know, the original Hobbit, things like that, um, Ricky Tiki Tavi, which was uh, amazingly cool, when you look at these, you know, these animated films, there are films that are not animated that have just as much strength in animation. The storytelling and the qualities are right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it depends on, on the person that watches them, too. Um, 
the Three Stooges, for example, were probably one of the best examples of a non-animated production that had incredible animation value because they were always moving. They were always plotting. There was always something going on in the background. Bit characters came to life even for seconds to complete the joke. Um, a movie like Jesus Christ Superstar, the, the it was literally a a production, a giant production that unfolded in front of you. And you might know the story. I mean, it's like watching a World War II movie. Obviously, you know who's going to win. But mm. it's the battle. It's that heroic incident. It's that, you know, from one shot to last bomb that grips you and keeps you on the end of your seat and entertains you. You know, that's the thing about, about animation. It doesn't have to be drawn. It can be expressed even through live human movement. So, you know, I, I encourage people to watch movies that fall over the hump. It gives you two things at once because, you know, when, when you write a story, when you write a book, uh, the person's imagination fills in the holes. You're reading Robin Hood, or or you're reading Three Musketeers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you imagine the characters, you hear them in their voice, on and on and on. But if you can find a movie, a live-action movie, or an animated movie that hops the line, you know, gets you over the hump and gives you two things at once, that's a real gem. And I also find a lot of the uh, science fiction shows from the late 70s, early 80s, uh, your Battlestar Galacticas, your Space 1999s, to have also the animated qualities. Um, Six Million Dollar Man was a fantastic show for that. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the early Incredible Hulks that Lou Perigno were in, just dynamic in the way that they, it was, it was literally a ballet, a human ballet. And it was animated without actually being drawn, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. But uh, I don't want to talk your ear off. I, I could go on and on about this for hours because I just love talking about my industry. But yeah. you know, if I had any advice to anybody that was just starting out or had any advice to somebody who you know, aspired to work in comics or work in film, um, it would be you know, the same thing that everybody else tells you. Learn anatomy, take a pad with you, never stop drawing. My advice is take a camera with you, your, your cell phone, whatever. Don't just take a picture of a tree. Take a video of a tree. Don't just take a picture of somebody running. Take a video of somebody running. Because when you draw a picture, you should be able to capture motion even in a stationary picture. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the fascinating things that I find out is the United States Marine Corps, every one of the armed forces has a division where they catalog history, photos everywhere. But the United States Marine Corps has a special designation for artists. They find that when an artist draws a scene, paints a picture, does a sketch, whatever, they're capturing seconds before and seconds after that initial one second that they're capturing, you know, in, in, in you know, on the canvas. And it gives a, a, a mini, it's like a mental mini animation. So the thing that you have to strive for is that. 
more than anything. Um, a flat picture is just a flat picture. Anyone can draw a circle, make it look like the circle is moving and something's going on in the background, mm -hmm. and they're shading without having to animate it. The mind will do most of the work, and your storytelling ability will get an A++ in any classroom anywhere. Okay. Right. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, current project, just a little, a little plug for Mac in Trouble? Sure. Um, Mac in Trouble is, is based on two real-life cats, and, uh, which, I, which I own. <laughs> and um, it's not a kid's book, but it's kind of a family-oriented adventure book. It's not Warner Brothers Disney comedy. It's more like two characters doing a comedy quantum leap. Um, they're anthropomorphic cats, so like Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse, they talk and mm -hmm. interact with humans. Um, you can find them. Uh, I'm, they're currently licensed to Outpouring Comics, which is a great publisher, um, macandtrouble.com. Uh, you can see uh, pictures and you can download free issues. Um, I'm currently working on a trading card set promo set based on the uh, the characters. Um, as a matter of fact, that's uh, a campaign of Indiegogo that's about to go live. Uh, I'm also working on a film right now for uh, a horror company. I'm not allowed to say which one, but it's scheduled for the theaters coming up next year. And uh, I'm doing the Clerks trading card set based on the movie franchise for Upper Deck which is a, a sketch card, trading card company. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on a project based on uh, the Planet of the Apes series right now. So, But you'll see all of that. If you go to Facebook, you can look me up. It's public and it's open and I show a lot of my work. And you can go to macintrouble.com or outpouringcomics.com and catch up on the latest books I'm doing. Okay, cool. That's about it. I'm sorry I talked for so long, guys, but no, it was great. when you get further into this industry, you'll never stop talking about mm -hmm. how much fun it is. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I'll definitely include a link uh, uh, for people to check it out. Um, yeah, That's so, cool. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, being on my podcast. It was great. Well, I, I appreciate it. Anytime you need me or anybody that you know that needs me, feel free to contact me. I enjoy helping people out. That was my interview with Rusty Gilligan. Thanks so much to Rusty for the great interview. For more Rusty, be sure to check out his comic, Mac and Trouble, and his Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on set.